Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Jack Collins and we are coming to you live and direct off the back of a dishevelled, disheartening and frankly extremely disappointing 3-1 loss to Aston Villa at Villa Park. And here to dissect that Midlands malaise, Mr Farrell Monk. Hello friends. Hello Faz. And Miss Lydia Campbell. Good evening guys. Evening Lids. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you too. As happy as we can make it. All right, we'll, uh, we'll do our best to <laughs> to wade through the muck in some ways yeah. and get through that Fulham performance. Before we do so, Faz, do you want to start us off with some three-word reviews? Yeah, I will do. Uh, a couple of them did make me chuckle as I was scrolling through them, and thanks for making us laugh uh, on this. We needed uh, it. Dis- yeah, a disheartening Easter Sunday. Uh, I'll start with FFC Lewis's on Twitter. Uh, which did make me laugh, where it's just, at least I'm drunk with at least uh, in one word, which, I mean, maybe he hasn't drunk enough if he's if he's able to recognise that uh, he needs to shorten down the words a little bit. It kind of reminded me of the whole Leroy Jenkins YouTube thing from many years ago, where he's like, at least I have chicken, if uh, that's a, a reference. <laughs> that's a niche reference. <laughs> very, very niche, niche reference. Keep going. Um, but yeah, so onto the more serious ones. We've got Frank Miller 05's Tomb Door Shut. Uh, Dan McGraw's uh, uh, Uno Dos Trezeguet. And okay, finally, like and finally, we've got TJ Frog's 46s with Trezegates of Hell. Thanks very much, everyone. Uh, those, were, those were some excellent, excellent submissions. Religious iconography playing a, a key part today, uh, as you'd imagine, given, given the festival we stand at. I mean, let's get straight into the game, Lids. And it's just one of those things where Fulham were in the ascendancy, I would say, for around 65 minutes. We didn't necessarily create massive amounts of chances, but you'd say that we had a reasonably firm grip on what was going on. And then it just absolutely capitulated. Yeah, I mean, similar to um, when we played City a couple of weeks back, that, you know, we'd done really well, nice and solid. And then next thing we'd concede three goals. Um, only this time it was much more unexpected. Um, we're one nil up, but at one stage before we'd scored, it came up on on Sky Sports that we had like ten chances and five shots on target. I was, you know, I was a little bit surprised at that because while we were fairly solid, we didn't exactly look like we were, you know, battering the the Villa um, goal. But you know, it's such a frustrating one when we go one nil up. We really have to go and try and get goal number two. Um, if that's any, if there's anything we can learn from from today, that's it. We absolutely cannot be sitting back um, because, unfortunately, we're not that good when it comes to um, that style of play. Well, we used to be, and 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 perhaps as this is kind of the the point I'd like to come on to in. That Parker today, and Scott Parker's got a lot of credit in the bank for Fulham's improved performances, you know, towards the the back of uh, of February, in February, the back of January, and and rightly so. He was he was given rightful praise for those things, but perhaps deserves criticism today. And, and Lids puts it there that you know we weren't very good at sitting on a lead, but what actually we did today was we sit we sat on a lead without changing to the system that we use to sit on leads. We just sort of froze and did nothing. And that, for me, was more surprising than the actual inability to sit on it. Either add some energy and impetus and go for it, or draw the bolt, bring on the fifth defender, and and use that, that system. We didn't park the bus, weirdly, in a game that perhaps we should have. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I was readying up the Scott Parker, the bus... Uh, gift for for some of the Insta stories today, and it just didn't happen. Um, it was a bit out of character. And what kind of disappointed me more so was Villa were obviously getting a lot of their openings from crosses from wide. Uh, admittedly, in that second half, Traore turned it on, and he was incredibly effective, and he was playing brilliantly and opening doors and creating chances uh, from the wide positions. And we'd seen it throughout the game that a lot of Villa's chances were coming from those wide positions. And we were caught out on quite a few occasions. And it was just a bit of luck that Ariola wasn't really tested a huge amount from those. We saw it pretty much straight from the off when 
uh, Watkins, one fell at Watkins' feet and he didn't react quickly enough. But there, at that point, for that one, there were four uh, Villa attackers in the box versus our three defenders. And that did happen quite often throughout the game. And you would think when we do go 1-0 up that we would start to recognise those. And we did have a couple of warning shots across the bow before the equaliser and we didn't react to it. And that just does seem very uncharacteristic of a, of a Parker side that we have come to know over the past sort of um, 18, 18 months, two years or so now. So, yeah, it was very disappointing that we didn't do that. Um, and, you know, we kind of did the opposite in a way that we did actually start to, when we went 1-0 up, we were trying to sort of gain more openings as well, but we weren't really creating really decent op- shooting opportunities. And eventually we we were caught out from the wide positions. Originally, it does... Originally, Traore uh, makes a position out wide. He does, I think it was a crossfield ball to to Matt Target, who finds Mings down the down the line, who plays it back in, and it was a nice, smart finish from from Trezeguet. But yeah, it 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 would be silly to think that it wasn't coming after the goal. Um, I just, I'm just a bit, I'm just a bit annoyed because of that, the nature of it that we didn't, we didn't shut up shop. We had been. We had the warning signs there for where the goals were going to come from against us, and we didn't learn from it, and it 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 bit us. It bit us hard, and we're we're feeling that this evening. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, Lids, you you mentioned there the the city mistakes, and and I think that's interesting. We saw another. I mean, not there's no real mistake for the first goal. It's a good finish. It's a well worked overlap. Um, but the second goal is a mistake, and and you can say that it's a little bit shoddy for the for the third as well. Um, so when you look at that and you look at four big mistakes in the last three games, or maybe five, if you add Joachim Andersen's against Leeds United, that's five goals we conceded that Fulham just weren't conceding, uh, you know, a month and a bit ago. We we looked solid. We looked like a team full of confidence. That started to slip that mask. That's a huge worry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of making us look back to how we played at the very beginning of the season. Um, not quite as bad as that. Mm. Um, you know, some of those performances were absolutely dire. Um, but you know, the worry is that over the past couple of games, we have handed goals to our opponents, um, which we absolutely can't afford to do because we don't score enough at, at the other side. Um, you know, you have you have teams like Leeds, for example, um, who are pretty abysmal at the back, but they score they they outscore their opponents so often we we don't have the ability to do that at the minute um whether it's because we can't quite find the the right recipe um going forward whether it's we just don't have um the right personnel there you know we we could go into that at a different time um but it is so important that we can that we hold our concentration um and today was an example of someone trying to play out when he maybe just should have booted it. Um, and it's a bit of a shame that it's it's t- tossing and it's in the same day that is, um, he had an interview um, th- this morning about how much, you know, he seems to be a real thinker. Um, but it's, it is frustrating. You know, it is expected at some stage whenever you, you, you're playing like that, when you, you are trying to play out from the back, but I mean, we weren't even, you know, he was halfway up the pitch. Um, it's it's a really awful, awful time to to concede possession. Um, it was poor, and I can understand why he looked absolutely devastated after it, because that in that moment, um, you know, that's the moment for me that that we threw away the game. It wasn't the equaliser, and it wasn't the, the third goal. It was the second. And it was so avoidable, which is what what's so frustrating about it. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. I mean, come on to the attacking side of things. And Faz, I'll start with the positives. Obviously, Mitrovic has come back off an unbelievable international break. Uh, and he's broken his club store, scoring duck as well to put us into the lead. So it's... That's that's the good news, right? We we've seen Alexander Mitrovic looking sharp and said to Lids just before we came on to the podcast, you know, yes, it's a he takes a advantage of a mistake, but I'm not sure that Mitrovic out of form and out of confidence has, you know, the nous to go round the keeper and slot that home. He maybe panics, he maybe hits it first time. And uh, and the fact that he, you know, looked at that opportunity, he was sharp enough to get to it and put it away has got to be a good thing. Yeah, and I suppose that his uh, footballing brain reacts to it and probably makes up for any sort of 
um, pace disadvantage you may have. And, you know, this this is a striker clearly in form and he showed the confidence to be able to round Martinez and slot it home. Uh, a bit close to a bit close to my liking for to Mings with his finish, though. Um, and, but we saw it straight from the off, really, and it kind of reminded me of that West Brom game away when it was his first start in a long time there as well. And it, it looked like why have we why have we not played him all along? And it was it was a performance that kind of reminded me in that in the sense that you know he started brightly, he caused lots of problems for the opposition, and had a couple of shots early doors. Um, talking about today as well, that pretty much the same thing happened. He had um, he was wrestling at the back post for a header. He had a shot near post that was saved smartly, um, and he had the, the the pick of the bunch was probably the left footed one, um, which I think is a better save and a better shot than probably the the commentators give give credit for really. But after that, he was largely quiet. Um, but I just don't think the game really suited him that well, and I think Fulham were guilty of overplaying rather than hitting Mitrovic quicker. Um, and I think that was probably to his detriment and he was being a bit starved of the ball a bit more. But I think if we're talking more about the attacking sense, I think a lot of credit needs to go to Loftus-Cheek and Deckeldover reed in particular the former. Ruben Loftus-Cheek in the first half was was exquisite and was central to a lot of the good play that we were seeing and was Agreed. reminded me of the, the Loftus-Cheek that you know easily got into, into the World Cup squad um, three years ago. He was in that from that central position. He was so strong and uh, at getting ahead of opposition players. Some of his touches were quite frankly world class and just eliminating their um, the the his markers with just one simple touch, one little dropper of the shoulder here or there, and he consistently did it throughout the game. That was until I think that when Cav, after Cav came on, Cav operated from the left hand side and was doing very much the same thing over and over again. He was sort of like trying to sort of fake down the go down the left and try and cut it back inside and try and get an angle from there. And it didn't quite work. And I think after a little while, Cavalero then went more centrally and then Loftus-Cheek went out to the left. And I've got to say that it really stifled Loftus-Cheek's play and he was largely ineffective. As we have said quite often on this podcast for the last three or four months that as soon as you move him out wide, he, he disappears from the game and he's just not as, as effective. And I think today was probably one of the biggest indications of that. Um, but you know, overall for literally the first, for the first half particularly, I was quite happy with our attacking play, but after the first half, we weren't really as potent, especially when Lookman came off. Um, and you know, we got the goal and we were starting to get a bit of steam. And then obviously the uh, Villa started getting their, getting their attacking side in order. And yeah, it was, it was all downhill from there, unfortunately. Yeah. I I mean that, that kind of link up between Loftus-Cheek and Mitrovic in the first half, Lydia was, was exactly what we've, we've been asking for in in many ways. He thought that that might work as, as a 10 off a striker who's willing to hold the ball up, who's going to feed the ball into him. And I thought they linked up really nicely. I thought they both dropped off second half, but, but Faz makes a good point in that there there was less to work from when players don't have to quite worry about Adamola Lookman's trickery. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's look, Loftus Cheek's definitely better in that ten role than than Zambo. Like when they put Zambo in there, the Leeds game, like it didn't work at all. Um, it is, you know, we've all known that's his, his favorite position. One thing that I would say about Mitrovic, and it's more of a worry than anything else, is that while he started very brightly, um, he had a couple of early shots. One where he tried to cheap chip the keeper from inside his own half which you're kind of like, what on earth <laughs> is going on here? But it shows you the, the kind of confidence that, that he's on. Um, one thing I would say, though, is that even the goals he scored for Serbia, the majority of them were like, they were brilliant strikes, but they were kind of all him in that, you know, he was maybe taking a shot that wasn't expected. Um, he, you know, that chip against, against Ireland, for example, so apologies, Jack. Um, you know, it was absolutely superb. Some of the other goals he scored were from quite far outside the box. And what I would say is that it's not really the basis of any football f- format. That It's not that he scored all those because they were set up for him to do that. It's because that was the only way he could actually get a shot because he wasn't getting any delivery other than that. You know, that there's nice link-up play, as you say, between him and, um, and, and Loftus-Cheek. 
but it wasn't really ever resulting in a chance, um, which is why he's having to, to, to swing a bit, you know, from maybe 25 yards out to try and catch the keeper unawares like he did with, with Martinez maybe in the first couple of minutes. Um, you know, so the worry for me is that we're not actually creating any chances for him. We're relying on his own kind of brilliance to find his, his own way. Um, and yes, you need a striker who can do that. But we cannot completely rely on that. We absolutely can't. We're, I'm worried, um, and you know we have been all season that while we are putting some excellent deliveries in, um, Lukman's corners in particular are very good. Um, we are just not. We're not creating enough clear cut chances, um, which is why we're struggling to put the ball in the net. Yeah, no, I, I think that's pretty reasonable. Um... We kind of forget about it in the in the madness of of what happened in the second half. But Fulham very nearly went in to the break one down. Uh, Villa were awarded a penalty that was later overturned. It, close call. I think we've just about got this one right. Um, but you can understand why the referee gave it on on first look, Farrell. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even think it would. I wasn't even going to bother watching the VAR. Really, I just assumed at first glance I was like, well, that, yeah, that's a definite penalty. Um, you know, it was quite sloppy from the Mina, but I mean a lot of credit for creating that has to go to Ollie Watkins, unfortunately, as a as a a, a Brentford, you know what? Um, you know, although ma- made in the Southwest. Ma- made in the Southwest at, at Exeter though. I'll 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 caveat it with that. Um but yeah, I mean thank thank the Lord for the first, you know, for, for one of the rare occasions that VAR has come to our come to our rescue um because as soon as those replays started happening i was like oh oh all right then um it did take quite a lot of replays and the the right decision was made in the end but yeah it did take a long long time and that turning feeling in the stomach was was slowly unknotting as as more replays were given and you kind of know it as soon as the referee is is called over to that tv that it probably will be overturned but it was so tight a you know a tenth of a second a bit later uh, Lamina reacting to that, and it's a stonewall penalty. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit sloppy. You can you can hear as soon as he gets the ball, player shouting at him. I I couldn't quite make out what they were, but yeah, but it was probably along the along the lines of of what I hear on a Sunday uh, Sunday league every week. Get rid, get yes. rid. Um, there's there's a couple of things that I want to touch on before we move on, Lids. Um, one of them is a masterclass, and, and we've got to give credit here to, to Dean Smith in terms of proactive substitutions. Uh, and, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about Parker earlier. Um, but Dean Smith brought on Keenan Davis, went 4-4-2, brought on Trezeguet, who scored twice, uh, and Jalen Ramsey, who who did really, really well in the middle. So funny, I've seen a couple of tweets from Aston Villa fans saying, not sure what Jalen Ramsey does, but he we're better with him on the pitch, um, which which I think is a really interesting capacity. But actually, you know, what Dean Smith did today was he made the changes that changed the game. Um, and it was only after the goals went in that Parker reacted. And, and that's a worry, I think. And we talked about this with Thomas Frank last year in the first game back after the COVID-enforced break, right? In that the game was nil-nil, Fulham were in the ascendancy in the game, um, and then the changes were made, and Parker was reactive, whereas Frank was proactive, and he swung the game in his team's favour. We've seen another example of this today, and and I've praised Scott Parker for learning from his mistakes. We saw a slip back into bad habits, I thought, today. Yeah, I mean, look, this game was won and lost on the basis of the the substitutions. Um, I think the vast majority of us can can agree on that. Um, you know that subs the subs that they made were very bright. Ours, unfortunately, were not. Um, I mean, okay, obviously, Lookman came off. Um, looks yeah, in, yeah, enforced, injured. Yeah. So, so aside from that, um, because I didn't think Cav was that bad. I mean, I think but he, he worked hard, but was poor. Yeah, he, he works hard. He's much better out wide than he is in centre. But the two subs that he then did make. I mean, that Onoma decision was a very odd one for me. Um, you know, for a fella who hasn't really even played that much recently at all. Um, when you have Zambo on the bench, it's just a little... Look, it was unusual for, for me. I, I was kind of... He's, to be honest, he's the last person I expected to see come on. Magic can understand that sub, but it just, you know, by that stage, the game was gone. I um, thought it starved us. Loftus Cheek coming off starved us. I yes. thought in some ways of being able to hold onto the ball and build it up. And there's a reason that Fulham weren't able to hold onto it after the subs were made because without Lamina and Loftus Cheek, 
we completely lost control of the middle. Yeah, the, the midfield battle was, was essentially completely lost at that stage. Um, and and it, look, it's so frustrating. You know, look, I haven't been Loftus Cheek's biggest fan this season. I, I've made no no secret of that. But he does do something that well, Josh Onama definitely didn't do when he came on. Um, and then obviously we tried to play. I'm assuming a different sort of system rather than have it. You know, we had Metro and Magic kind of in the same place, and it just didn't really work. We left a massive gap in the middle. Um, and it, look, it, it was it was a poor choice for me for, from Parker. What I will say is that generally he's been very good at at you know learning from that. But it was, I mean, today, as I say, the the, the subs, the massive um, contrast in the subs that were made were definitely where this game was was won and lost. I would have liked a, um, a sub probably a lot earlier anyway, um, and not just reacting to the to the goals. Um, because by that stage we had we'd, we'd essentially thrown it. Yeah, I, I don't mind if Parker injects energy. I, I thought Olaina was knackered, absolutely shattered, and by the yeah. time the third goal goes in, he can barely stand up. Um, I don't mind if Parker goes for his five at the back and Fulham invite the pressure on and then can see because Parker believes in that system, right? And we've been proved time and time again wrong that he's been able to do that when he's gone five at the back and seen games out, right? And, and do I like it? No, no. But has it worked? over the course of, of, of the last two years? In the majority, yes, I think is the truth of the matter. And so if Parker had made that decision to dig in uh, and go five at the back and try and shore it up, it would have been uncomfortable. But I think we would have at least been like, he's done something to try and influence the outcome of the game. Now, if he'd injected legs and we thought we were going to go for it and go for the jugular and score the second, fine also. But it was one of those ones where we were like, make a decision either way. Don't sit in the middle and leave the team out there who are knackered by by all accounts to to then go and sit on and a bit of a damning stat to to Anderson Matt Roberts tweeted me that he said we've gone up now at West Brom Sheffield United Newcastle United Burnley and Villa and we've got zero we've won zero of those games that's that's not going to keep you in this that's division fans mm. yeah and especially when you sort of like look at the fact that we 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 tend to name quite defensive benches. I mean, that's probably down to the fact that we don't have a huge squad with a lot of talent running, especially attacking talent running through it. Um, you know, but you look at the bench today. Uh, Brian uh, was there, Zambo and Gisa, Congolo, and Anthony Robinson uh, and Tim Ream. So that's you know five of the of the the plethora of subs that are available to to Scott Parker and not one of those actually came on today and we were in we were in the lead for uh i don't know how many minutes it was in the end um you know 17 minutes it 17, was yeah. and at the tail end of the game and it does feel a bit like i said before a bit uncharacteristic from parker he has changed that kind of what was a winning formula last season i mean granted it's a totally different league it's, it's completely different there's different um, situations and whatnot and different styles of play and all this sort. But, you know, you're looking at all those players that are available to them and maybe there's a trust issue here with those players because I run back through those and apart from Robinson, have we seen any of those defenders at all, you know, especially recently? Reem, we haven't fair, seen. Congolo, actually, like, I, I'm, I'm still not completely sure that he's real. <laughs> to be fair, he was the best player on the pitch uh, away at QPR in a, at the FA Cup game. Um, and then he went off injured. But then he went off injured. Yeah, and it's, but they're named on the bench for a reason. They, they must be available, but we haven't seen a single minute of those other players at all. Um, so maybe there is a trust issue. And like you said, Aina was, was, was definitely knackered. I don't know how much he played in the international break. But I, I mean, Zambo and Gisa, I don't think he played that much over the international break. I think he only played but one game. Um, but yeah, I mean, no defensive substitutions in 17 minutes at the tail end of a game that you're winning 1-0 when wins are so absolutely vital right now does feel a bit naive. Aye. I would completely agree. Right. That is probably enough of ranting. <laughs> about yes. about the Aston Villa loss. Uh, we're going to move on to the second part where we have the exclusive audio from an interview between Alan Shearer and Scott Parker. We'll see you after the break. 
Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast with me, Jack Collins, Farrell Monk. Hello, everyone. And Lydia Campbell. Hello. Right, we've got some exclusive audio. That's exciting. It's very exciting. And this was Alan Shearer, Premier League's top ever goal scorer, uh, talking to Scott Parker face-to-face, well, over a Zoom call, as as everything is these days, uh, about this season as a whole, Fulham, his managerial career. Uh, And I think the first bit we should start with was Alan asking Scott on how he's finding this season back in the top flight. Can you enjoy it, Scott? I mean, you're able to enjoy it, you know, you're not getting results. I know it's a huge relief when you get results. Can you enjoy it because of the position that you're in? I enjoy certain aspects. I don't enjoy losing. Re- regarding the league table, I've never been a, a weight on me. That's never been something which I've been solely took massive focus on because I knew where we would be and I knew I'd have to be comfortable in this situation. And certainly I knew the players would have to be as well because the realities are fourth last year, coming out of the championship, a young team, a team with a lot of new signings, loan players. And they're not excuses. That's the cold hard facts and reality. And some of these players, most of them, have probably not been in and around the Premier League or, or certainly experienced it over a sustained period. So I knew there'd be some real struggles and how quick the players or these players could adjust. So in terms of the league table, no, I get frustrated and I get disappointed. And what, what holds always is maybe performance or you don't feel things have gone your way at certain moments. But throughout it, I have, you know, I have enjoyed every minute of it. It's, it's everything we worked hard for last year. And um, while at times we have been exposed or there's been areas which have been very disappointing, there's also been some massive improvements and massive parts, which, you know, it, it makes it worth it, really. So, yeah. Alan then moved on to the battle at the bottom as Newcastle United, beloved of Mr Shearer, of course, and Fulham look to maintain their places in the Premier League. Certainly from the outside looking in, it's it's looking more and more like a shootout between Fulham and, and Newcastle, which <laughs> which is difficult for me, Scott. I've got you and Stuart Gray, who's an old teammate of mine. You're an old teammate of mine. Stuart was my old neighbour at Southampton, and I've got Newcastle. So um, from from the outside looking in, it, it looks like a shootout, doesn't it, between you two? You know what, I... I- I honestly, of course, it looks like that. There's no, you know, I think people were asking me the question a couple of months ago, saying, "Is it going to be this? What's it going to be?" And I remember answering the question, saying, "I don't really know. There's so many games left. We're getting to the point where we're starting to pan out a little bit." Saying that, I still believe that in this division, Newcastle the same us. And you go and win three, four on a bounce, and you can put a real run together, and all of a sudden, it just you just don't know in this division, certainly this year, and the, and what's happening and. Of course, it looks more like that out there, but I also believe that a little tiny blip in a run, and I include ourselves, and we need to be very wary of that. And the same for Newcastle and where they're going, but yeah, it probably it probably is going to be out of us. Right, well, thank you to The Athletic providing that audio for us. And if you want to read the full interview, you can subscribe to The Athletic UK right now for three ninety nine a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod for 40% off. Once again, that's theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Guys, a really, really interesting interview. Um, obviously, nice to get the audio on here, but as a written piece as well. And I mean, obviously, Scott knows Newcastle as well. Not as well as he knows Fulham, but he was he was a part of that squad and I believe he won the Intertoto Cup when he was up there, a, a trophy close to all of our hearts. And um, Faz, I thought it was quite an interesting one just in terms of, of how his approach was discussed. And look, we talked a lot about Scott's substitutions and that today, but I kind of just want to more, talk a little bit more holistically um, about what he was suggesting he was implementing as a manager. Yeah, and when you're reading through it and it, it is an excellent read. Um, and I mean, I have fallen in fallen in love with Scott Parker over the last few years and um, and learning how he sort of ticks and what he does and how he's become successful is 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 really good to to read. And he he comes across um, with a great amount of honesty, and we see that in a lot of his uh, post-match interviews, especially today as well. And um, you know, to Michael Dawson said, I, "I can't believe how how honest he is and how open he is about what what needs to be done." And that comes through in this article as well. You know, even and it it shows a it shows an experience and it shows uh, a maturity um, beyond his experience in the management game. And it shows, especially when he talks about 
as soon as he got into the management game, he knew that he needed a mentor. He knew that there's an added side to the game that he wasn't used to as a player. Um, and he knows that the, the game has changed. And he knew that without have, ever having managed a top flight team in, in the past. And being able to recognize those things without having the experience and, and getting the information from other people to implement his ideas uh, and getting results pretty much straight from the off is remarkable in itself. Let's, I mean, the, the article title is, well, basically says, Scott says he's a very intense person. He's scared of failure. And that's what drives me. Now, like, I like the idea in some ways that Scott hates failing. Like, it, that, that's a good thing, right? You, you want your manager to crave success and, and crave winning with the team that you support. I am a little bit wary of the phrase scared of failure, though, because... You know, failure is something that we, I mean, we've praised him for learning from his mistakes and, and his failures. Being scared of it isn't something that I'm like, oh, I, I want you to do that. I want you to look at failure and be like, yep, yeah, I can understand that. And I want you to move on from it and, and kick on. And there is bits of this interview that are a little bit like you, you think about it and you it, it feels very, very intense. Yeah, I, I look, I, I would agree with those kind of concerns in that I know from my own kind of sporting background and not to a particularly high level, I must add, <laughs> um, but all through um, playing hockey, the, the, the main thing that was drilled into us from a very early age is that you learn so much more from a defeat than, than a win. Um, it may sound a little bit cliched, but it is very true. Um, I was part of a very good hockey team in school, but we used to win every week. We literally battered teams off the park. But whenever it came to the cup, we never won it because all of a sudden we were playing against very, very talented players. We weren't getting that um, in kind of every week. And I remember learning more about those games than I did when we were beating Belfast High School 9-0. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we didn't learn from those what I would say about Parker is that I understand where he's coming from. And I think what he means, I, I don't think he means he's scared of it in the sense that he doesn't know what he would do when it happens or that he, you know, would freak out whenever it, uh, it, it happens. I think it's more, not poorly worded, because that's, you know, he's a manager at the end of the day. But I think he more means that he just really wants to avoid feeling at all costs. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair enough. Uh, interestingly, Faz, there's a bit about here about Valentine's Day, right? And it says, and I'll read the passage, it <laughs> says, Fulham hadn't won in 12 league matches, drawn eight of those games, hanging in. There comes a point where hanging in isn't enough. Before their fixture at Everton, Scott told his players he still believed that they wouldn't still be there if he didn't. They believed too. They responded winning 2-0. Then they drew at Burnley and beat Sheffield United. Two weeks later, they beat Liverpool at Anfield. Like, we, we've just seen us lose to City, which was expected, lose a really, really topsy-turvy game to Leeds, which a lot of people saw as a must-win. We've just lost a game that we were in control of against Aston Villa, which a lot of people have seen as a must-win. I think maybe what's nice and, and something we can cling on to in terms of hope is, is that Scott will look at all this and he'll be disappointed. I, I'm not, not going to sit here and pretend that he's going to look at that game today and think, oh, yeah, not much. I think he can look at the Leeds game and say we were probably not the better side and we didn't really deserve much from the game. I don't think he'll look at today's game like that. I think he will look at today's game as hugely missed opportunities and three dropped points. But he will look at the next couple of games and go, why not? And and there will be that sense in camp that, that Fulham are still good enough to get out of this, even after a couple of bad results. The way you first described that whole sort of like, um, it gets to him and he's fully aware of, of the issues and he'll go home and he'll think about it and all this kind of stuff is like, do you remember the, the season we got relegated and Martin Yol was under the first time around back in 2013, 14, when Martin Yol was the manager and he was the, they were talking about, are you under a lot of pressure? And he's like, no, I, I mean, I've got a nice life and I'm quite happy. It won't affect my life if Fulham lose too much. And he got, it was very, very different for a football manager to say that at the time. And rightly or wrongly, he got a lot of flack for that, but, you know, he didn't think that he cared and he didn't really care if Fulham stayed up or not. And now we've got a manager in Scott Parker and a real relegation battle and he's doing everything completely differently. And you buy into that. And he talks about in the article about um, the, the mentality, as we banged on for such a long time about Scott Parker, how he talks about the mentality and 
you know, he, he says, I always know that I can control the mindset of the players and I want to sell how the story goes. And as you say, that I, I, I have that belief and it transfers to the players. And I feel that time and time again, it looks like this team under Scott Parker are going to go into a massive rut that they won't be able to get out of. And there needs to be a lot of changes. And then suddenly the, 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 we get a result that isn't out of nowhere but it's a result that's quite surprising and i'm not just talking about this season i am talking about last season as well there was the point where the leeds game at the home leeds, the leeds game at home that's exactly what i was going to say we weren't playing our best i'm not going to go back and, and remember what we'd games lost were to Brent, to we'd lost to brentford at griffin they, park yeah and it was exactly. one of the worst defeats we were we were we were hopeless that day and yet we we went we played that game we didn't we weren't the best team um, we did enough to win that game but Leeds were firmly on top for a lot of it but we put in a performance that was was good enough to win that game and that's just one example and we can go through his whole tenure and sort of pick out little moments but you look at other teams where they've got vastly more experienced managers and they get into ruts and they just can't can't get themselves out of it much like. Newcastle have been under under Steve Bruce, for example, much like Chris Wilder has been under Sheffield United, uh, much like uh, for a large parts of the season, Sean Dyche uh, with Burnley. Yes, they have turned it around and whatnot, and all credit to to him as well. But that that's a manager with a lot more experience. Um, Parker, third, well, second full season as manager in the top flight. I think it's I think it's remarkable from him, and I I. I I don't want this to happen, but I have I do have an inkling that will will Scott Parker want another another go at the championship next season if unfortunately Fulham get relegated? Might he get pinched by a bigger club? Might might a bigger club um take a take a punt on him? I'd be thoroughly, thoroughly disappointed. I think that as I've said quite on numerous occasions and you know, from what I've read, what I've watched, and it shows in the results, it shows in the performances as well with the team. I'll be thoroughly disappointed if he if he leaves it if he leaves at any stage, let alone if we get relegated or even stay up. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that that's fair enough. And and, and it's a really good interview. Like, I mean, I've, I've said this about four times, but it really is. And I really enjoyed it because it gave you that little bit of insight into the mentality of it and and the ups and downs of it and the fact that he just seems to be very steely. And and look, I've criticised Scott today and, and, I, and I think that I, and I've criticised Scott on, on many occasions when I feel like he needs to be criticised and I've praised him on other occasions when I feel like he needs to be praised. And I think to, the interesting thing is perhaps to him that, you know, not that the us, but the criticism and praise, not from, from this podcast, but from all quarters, doesn't really seem to phase him. He has something that he believes in and he, he he kind of sticks by it. Now, does that mean that at times he could do things better? Of course it does. Like, it doesn't mean that, that he's perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think that Scott has earned his right to be at the, you know, at the forefront of this train, you know, to, to the end of the season and beyond, no matter what kind of occurs from here on in. And, and it's nice to have someone at the helm that really cares. He did say after the game that he said that there were mistakes individually and there were st- mistakes that we made as a team. And I think the individual mistakes are, you know, for him disappointing. And there's probably not much he can do to to change that. But I think the ones that the the team mistakes, I think he'll take those personally. And he'll go, he'll watch the videos tonight, he'll get his analysis team on it, he'll learn what those mistakes are, and he'll weed them out um straight from the off and 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 talk, you know, he talks about how like um, you know, they have those team meetings all the time and it's very, very difficult at Motspur Park where the you know it's it's a it's a great training ground but you know he talks about how it's how it is very old as we know and they don't have huge huge meeting rooms like you might see on all or nothing Tottenham or or or, uh, or Man City so it is quite difficult but as you've seen throughout the whole season he's ha- he has even with those difficulties been able to get his message across and learn from those mistakes and I think that those team errors he makes today, I have no doubt in my mind, like we talked about earlier with the defensive mistakes and not not stopping the supply and not defending crosses well, I'm absolutely certain Scott will, will know them. He work, he'll swallow his pride and say, look, this is where we this is where we need to improve and let's let's go work on it in the training ground. I think that he's got all of that facets in his game in terms of tactically, um, 
mentality and also man management. I think he's got all of those. He's got, you know, all of those things to be a top manager. All right. Let's look to the future like Scott then in part three. Welcome back to part three of the Fulhamish podcast. I'm joined by Farrell Monk and Lydia Campbell. Let's look quickly forward to the game against Wolves. They come thick and fast now, Lids, and, and we've got an opportunity to bounce right back. And there's a, a bit of sentiment on the timeline, I think, today that, you know, yes, there are going to be knockbacks. And today is a huge knockback in terms of morale, in terms of confidence, in terms of we've thrown away points from a winning position uh, but there's an opportunity to write that straight away and that's got to be something to look forward to yeah that's one of the good things about the league this year um with the games being quite as staggered as they are and um, it means that we we don't have that long before the next one um we also have the advantage of playing on the friday night which means that we could be out of the relegation zone um yes newcastle would be two games in hand if that was to happen but it doesn't matter. It's still it's still that boost that you get. Um, even in those 17 precious minutes um, today, it felt great. Yes, it was snatched away from us, but I think it's it. Um, I think we have to use this as an opportunity. We're playing before Newcastle are. Um, if we were to get three points at home to Wolves on Friday night, we're out of the relegation zone at least until Newcastle play again. And I think that has to be what we focus on. Um, if you can put the, the other team under that kind of pressure, it completely changes how they, they approach the game. They might not actually come out and say that, but I would say that mentally it definitely does. Definitely does. If we go and we're outside the relegation zone by you know 10 o'clock on Friday night, um, that will mentally have, a, have an impact on how Newcastle play. Um, in their next game. Right, uh, they got a point today, Faz, in a game against Tottenham that a lot of people had bookmarked as a, a zero points for, for Newcastle, that one. Um, annoyingly, they were quite good. Um, you worried? Or is this a case of a little bounce back and we, it, things will go back to normal? I mean, I know Tottenham haven't been very good of late and and actually have struggled quite a lot uh, across the park. So it's not like necessarily a result that, that defies belief. It's not a point against Man City. Um, but it but it is a point that, that they'll have they'll have taken to heart. Yeah, they I wouldn't necessarily say I mean, admittedly I, I only watched the second half of it and I'll I'll base my opinion on that in the sense that I didn't think that they looked amazing. Um they created more than I thought that they would, but you know they did concede two goals in quick succession, much like Fulham did today. Sounds, sounds and, familiar. Yeah, and they probably should have conceded more after that. Um, just before that they scored, Kane did hit the, the outside of the post, and that was that was the turning point. Um, and it will they'd be buzzing off that, regardless of who the opposition are or anything, because they're such in a low ebb at the moment that any sort of sign of positivity they'll they'll take on in in and consume it for days. So this will give them a bounce. Um, you know, I didn't think Spurs looked all that bright um, and they've got their own problems as well. And Newcastle took advantage of that, which probably is something that Fulham have been slightly guilty of a lot of the season, actually not taking advantage of wounded teams so much, apart from maybe that that Liverpool game. Um, you know, the, the worrying thing is, is that their talismanic players are coming back from injury. Alan San Maximon came, was, was back on the bench today. Um, I thought Willock was, was bright and he did get a goal for his efforts. And, you know, they've, they've looked blunt as well, um, going forward for a lot of it. Um, Almiron is starting to sort of get his energy back as well, I thought. Um, and, he was he was yeah he was appearing quite a lot on all around the pitch actually uh, for large parts of those for He's that game player. so that that will that will sort of worry me slightly. However, I just as Scott Parker said, we're going to go back to that interview and what he said quite a lot of the time is, you know, he he just he worries just worries about ourselves. He just worries about Fulham. If you know, it's not about other teams around us. We just need to worry about our own performances and pick up points where where we need to and. I think that's the most disappointing thing today, but I'm still going to curse if ever if Newcastle pick up a point as well. So I was cursing it certainly when when that ball yeah. went in for the equaliser. 
Let's let's look forward then to to our game on Friday. Do you, what changes do you make? How do you start? Obviously, we don't know the health of Adamola Lookman, which is going to be you know obviously key to to the way that Fulham set up. Um, do you change the system? Do we look at the defensive errors that have crept in over the last couple of games, added to Wolves' system, and go back to a five at the back? Do we look at maybe going two up top with with Madja and Mitrovic? Is there something the spot does here that? That we should we should look to bring things into our own hands, or is it a case of today's individual errors can be can be kind of eschewed and and we move forward? I mean, I would quite like to see what it would be like to have Madja and and Metro on the pitch together for a proper period of time. And um, look, it might be a complete disaster, but I don't necessarily think um it would be quite as bad as the complete lack of service um Mitchell's getting at the minute. Uh, I think if Lukman's fit, I think he should play. I think he's a funny one because he hasn't actually been that great recently. But I think he's the sort of player who can win a game in an instant, um, which is something that we we massively need right now. I think the the mistakes at the back. Well, I, I'd like to think that we should stick with, with with the way we've been playing purely because if we change it too quickly, it might just unsettle things even more. I think if we were to make more mistakes again in another game, then that's when, when, when you maybe change it. But I wouldn't be particularly worried about the big mistakes we made against City purely because of the way they play and they force you into those mistakes. But if you do what we did today and kind of hand Villa a, cu- a couple of goals um, and play it again, then that's when I would be I'd be starting to um, to maybe consider making changes there. But I don't necessarily think it's the right time for whole wholesale um, changes in the way we play. I just I, I wonder what it will be like having Magia and Metro up front together. Yeah, I mean, but does that mean you go four four two? Does that mean you you, um... you go? Because part of me thinks that if if Adamola Lookman is out, I'd be tempted perhaps, and I've been a huge advocate of going to four at the back, but without Lookman, I thought we looked a little bit turgid going forward. I'd be tempted to see if we could bring in a side that was sort of Robinson, then Tosin, Anderson, Aina, Bobby Decordova, Reed as that kind of right wing, right wing back hybrid, yeah. Angisa, Reed, Loftus Cheek, and then Mitro and Madger up top, which kind of allows you to drop drift Madger out onto the left if you do go 4-3-3 and pull him back into a, a front two if you do end up going 5-3-2. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I quite like that because it gives you the options then of playing more defensively if we need to. Um, and, you know, I think Robinson is is decent at that, you know, running up and down the wing. Bobby Deacon Reid has shown that he's, you know, so versatile and has probably had his best games from that that position that, that this season. Um, yeah, and then as you say, you can push Matmaja out wide if if we need to. Uh, but if it's if it's an option of getting Maja and Metro up front together, I would quite like to see how that would work as long as we can get service into them. Farrell, listening to you guys talk about it, I kind of played with a few ideas in my head. One thing that came to my mind while you were talking was was going back to the the sort of wing back system with the Bobby Decker Dover Reed um, from the right hand side and that kind of like hybrid was just trying something a bit differently in the sense that you know if we do play that I don't necessarily see Aina as a out and out wing back so if you are going to play that kind of wing back system maybe going with Robinson but because Robinson admittedly I don't think he's played that well recently. Maybe just try and go with Brian because we, because you know he is a natural winger and he has shown some quality from from that area, and it does offer something a little bit different that perhaps the opposition wouldn't be prepared for, and then that kind of frees you up to play sort of you know those two up top if you wanted to go that way, or you could play um, two behind Mitrovic with uh, one with RLC and. Um, Ivan Cavallero as well, because if you play, you know, we've seen what Cavallero can do from the left or the right, and we can, we've seen what Cavallero can do from the centre, but I think that if you play that kind of two behind Mitrovic, it gives him that freedom to sort of take up a position that, um, in an attacking sense, that whichever one that he feels most, most comfortable with. And if you play um, Anguissa alongside Reed behind them, then that gives that nice link in between um, the back line and the forward line. Because I have, 
we haven't necessarily seen it as much recently with Reed and Lamina, I don't feel. Um, I've, as, as excellent as Reed is, and I, you, he's pretty much undroppable at the moment, I haven't seen as much from Lamina as going forward as you would expect him because we talk about how good his ball carrying skills are. Um, we've he's it's kind of gone a little bit recently, and I, I felt like that that there has been that link that's losing slightly, um, especially with Anguissa dropping to the to the bench, not playing in uh, from a deeper role. Um, but it would be quite surprising. I think all in all, considering the way that Wolves like to play, they almost predominantly play with wing backs. It it might nullify the Wolves' attack if we just match them man to man and play five at the back in that way. Um, but the 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 sort of joker in the pack for them is Pedro Neto, who who's a very very right. good player. I I rate quite highly, he's and and um, he's just he'll float. I think that. Um, Espirito Santo will just say, okay, if they're matching us man to man, well, Neto, you move to where the space is. And I feel that perhaps that our system will be too rigid with five at the back with the personnel that we have available to to be able to match them if they decide to switch it up, which has probably been our Achilles heel a lot of the season. Aye, indeed. Well, decisions for Scott Parker to make, uh, not us. So we will leave those decisions to him and we will be back on Thursday as we discuss another whole host of Fulham issues. But uh, for today, uh, all there's left to do is to name this pod foul. Um, I would love to go for at least I'm drunk, but um, I think that Sammy might riot for our, if we decide to name it that. I, but I agree. Uh, so I'll have to go with, uh, but it's obviously a very, very excellent choice from from tj uh treasure gates of hell treasure gates of hell indeed yes. it did feel a bit like that today right um let's go and, and try to enjoy our sunday evenings uh it's all that left for me to do is to say thank you very much to lydia campbell thanks for having me guys thank you i uh, thank you very much to farrell monk thank you very much i've been jack collins this has been the fulhamish podcast thank you for listening as ever we'll be back in the week take care we go again on friday (laughs) you wait (laughs) 